Hello, Dom. How are you? Hey, Rob. I am well. Yes. How's yourself? Yes. Not too bad. Thank you. Um, we're back this week. The title of this episode is is Beating the Blues with Blue, which is, you know, I, I love a awkward joke and pun as much as the next person. And, and, and what this episode is going to be about is um, about water, about spending time with water and blue spaces and, and marine and ocean and things like that. Because from my perspective, at the very least, this is one of those areas where people maybe might be feeling that feeling of eco-anxiety quite strongly because it's been so heavily reported in the press of late, the impact of climate change and of pollution on our waters across the British Isles, really, isn't it? And so this is maybe something that we need to be thinking about quite clearly and what that impact is. Yeah, Water is really topical, as you say, whether it's the salty or the fresh. We're talking about, and hopefully two people who are literally on the front line of climate change, they tend to live on coastal areas around the world, not just in the UK. Did you know that, I think it's about 17%, almost one in five of the UK population, they actually live in coastal communities? Oh, wow. I did not know that. Hmm. Yeah, so it's a hell of a lot of people who I think will have a view and and actually are a little bit closer to the the stuff going on, as well as all the things we've been hearing about, about our rivers, not only about what goes into them, but what happens when they flood. So they've got a really specific place in impacts on proximity to people and also probably the solutions as well. Mm because when we think about that you know we think about you know the work that surfers against sewage do for instance in really highlighting the state of our 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 waterways you know showing that i mean there's some really shocking things like half of people or more than half of people who try wild swimming or wild water sports in the uk experiencing sickness after swimming and you hear things like those cases of them cancelling swimming events because of that threat of sickness And that's something that can feel really impactful because a lot of us, you know, maybe we grew up near the coast or we live near the coast still. And that time in the water is something quite precious to us, something with that nostalgia around it, maybe of holidays in the UK and things like that. And it feels as though something's been taken away from us, maybe less gradually than we might think as well. It feels like there's this quite rapid change. Yeah, I feel really personally strongly about the water environments because of that fact, because I, you know, it's the first thing I do if I want to, if I go to a coast, I want to get in the sea. If I, I, I go somewhere, I want to see increasingly more difficult, find a river to go in. And there's that side of things, which is troubling. I think there's also, there's something in particular about coastal communities in the UK. As you say, there's that we we feel that draw. So many of us go there on bank holidays or, or 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 take our kind of leisure time there, and yet so many coastal communities have the poorest health outcomes. Mm. Um, you know the, the the jobs that you get there are seasonal. There's the whole second homes thing and people feeling out of control, and then you add in the lack of control about what's going on in terms of climate change but also the you know the plastic or the other rubbish that you can see and then exactly the stuff that you can't see that's going to make you ill it all makes for a pretty a pretty bad cocktail to be honest yeah and i'm really glad you brought up the element about you know health outcomes and things because as you know i come from a a quality diversity and inclusion background and one of the things that often gets left out of those conversations is things like socioeconomic status um wealth disparity is a big one and when you think about a lot of coastal communities particularly those places that are seen as holiday destinations actually there is this huge disparity there that people don't like to talk about but that actually does have this tremendous impact and equally when you see things like climate change going on and those changes to our coastlines, that's not just a theoretical thing for people within these communities that are already facing a lot of challenges. Actually, it is also something that's very, very real about their potential future. 
when we think about things like the biodiversity of our coastlines, things like losing more than 90% of our native oyster reefs in England since the mid-1800s, losing 92% of seagrass from UK seas, these are all things that people can, can see and can recognize these kind of changes going on, but maybe might feel powerless about changing as well. So this is something that's very, very real and almost tangible. It's something you can grip onto for a lot of people who are in these communities. I'm quite lucky. I live about 25 minutes from the coast and you can see that things are changing and it does impact on you on your core. At least it does for me, at least. It's just one of those strange kind of feelings really where we are an island nation we're absolutely surrounded and you know we've got the freshwater side of things as well there just isn't a person that it doesn't impact and i think it also brings it home that water is the stuff of life really isn't it and therefore there is something as well as all the evidence there's plenty of evidence around it being great for kind of reductions in anxiety and particularly mental health benefits from what they call salutinogenic environments and all those kind of things but actually there's something deep within us and there's a really great conversation with um james shamankovitz later on who's a gp but he's also a, a, a surfer and he talks very personally about what the water and the sea i won't ruin it but what it what it does to him and why he's in there you know it's a brilliant description so really really worth a, a tune into that part of it i would say yeah absolutely and you you touched on there about what those benefits are we know that spending time in water benefits people's physical well-being and mental well-being Uh, we know that listening to running water for ages even before there were studies into it people were doing that as something to help them find peace within Uh, but when you look at studies there's a great one and I can't remember off the top of my head who ran it but they looked into the impact on people's stress levels just before stressful events if in the run-up to them they were listening to things like running water and it really has this huge impact on how we feel in those stressful moments um listening to waves is something that i always love doing if if i'm somewhere by the coast just sitting down for a little bit and just listening to the waves coming in it's just one of those things that can just calm you down it can make you unclench your jaw make you drop your shoulders and just feel at one with something else just for a brief moment and so it it really does work doesn't it it does and and there's 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 some great research out there particularly around sort of I would say Exeter University their sort of blue gym project I'd look at sea change as well which is uh, an EU horizon funded set of research but there they do go into the specifics around the reduction in stress and anxiety, but they also talk about the effect of uh, building stronger communities, something that we were talking about earlier. Uh, because I think, you know, again, if, if, if you go to places where there's water, there's quite often gatherings, aren't there, there, whether it's on the beach or, you know, alongside a river or, you know, what do we do when the weather goes hot? You know, there's everyone heads to the place where there's stepping stones or they can paddle or they can swim. So there's that side of things. And, and therefore, it increases your physical activity. You're more likely, they find, to be physically active. And that doesn't mean that everyone needs to jump in and wild swim if that's not your thing. You know, there's rock pooling. How many of us uh, have done that? You know, how many of us would benefit from that if we, if, if we did that a little bit more as well? So there's there's some very specific feelings, as, as you said, around running water. There's the air, I think, that you get around coastal areas. There is something, you know, that whole bracing idea. Um but I, it, it just you're a bit closer to something that's really powerful as well. I think they're quite awe, awesome places, awe-inspiring, a little bit fearful as well. You know, the waves and those sorts of things. So there's there's a lot going on there, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm close to Brighton and watching, for instance, the pier slowly descend into the sea after the fire that was there, however many years away now was, always brings back that that power behind the ocean and how actually there is this or is the right word for it awesome is the right word for it because it is this immensely powerful thing but also this immensely living thing where people don't think of it as this thriving natural world but actually it very much is 
for instance, three quarters of the UK is beneath the sea in terms of what counts as the UK. This is an in- integral part of what we are as a, as the British Isles. You know, th- th- this is an integral part of who we are, and it's something that we need to protect. We think about things like twenty eight species of dolphin and whales around the UK. We know that there's all of these different varieties around octopuses, sharks, kelp forests. I mean, there's that great example, isn't there, when it comes to seagrass, that one of the UK's largest seagrass beds was only mapped to this year by Cornwall Wildlife Trust. Shout out to Cornwall Wildlife Trust there um, around St. Austell Bay and really worth reading up on that. There's all of these things that are going on. And again, that kind of brings back the idea that there's there's hope here that it's not all lost what it means is people need to pull their socks up and make a difference when they're in those positions of power to make that difference and we can think about that community development of how we want to push for things as a community to be better but there's all of these positives going on and there's con- we're constantly learning and developing new things about our waterways about our oceans and our seas that we weren't even aware of before either yeah yeah absolutely and i think Things like, it's quite exciting, isn't it? Seagrass restoration or looking after and recovering kelp or native oyster beds, as you mentioned earlier. There's tons of stuff going on uh, across the Wildlife Trust, which is really exciting. And I think it's not kind of something you automatically go to, but I think the proximity of those natural habitats to the uh the coast i think we're gonna that's gonna be our next kind of foray and we're gonna find out so much more about it what it does to lock away carbon so i think i mean you've been speaking to some quite interesting people associated with those projects haven't you and i think it's something hopeful there as well isn't there yeah, well, we've got some uh, we've got some great guests coming up who I've spoken to as well. Again, I'm not going to spoil it just now, but keep listening to the episode and you'll hear about, you know, some personal accounts about what being by the sea can do, the positives and negatives, and actually how, you know, recognising the sea can help with feelings of eco-anxiety. But also looking at um, one of the things we, we looked at for this episode is the Wild Coast Sussex Project, which is very much about creating inclusive community-led events around supporting our coastlines and how that can lead to long-term support and yeah there's some really interesting things in there from our guests so please do continue listening um the other thing to think about as well is that oftentimes when we think about climate change we might miss out the importance of sea life from that conversation or sea environments but we know things like sort of carbon being sequestered and stored in habitats in the marine space is really important. Things like seabeds, seagrass beds, reefs, salt marshes, all of those things play an integral role in that climate change piece too. And so there's another reason to protect them there and another reason to develop them there too. And I think that would bring me on to the other thing that we haven't really mentioned. And that is, so there is that great policy work as wildlife trust we're very close to this around um first of all we had marine conservation zones literally you know have gone from zero to 90 of them now a protective ring around the coast and now there are highly protected marine areas only four so it's it's an okay start but the point is that you can give the marine habitat a little bit of space to kind of recover and you you don't trawl in them and those sorts of things. But I think the other exciting thing for me there is this is to be done in partnership with industries that have really suffered, i.e. the fishing industry. And it's actually making something that is sustainable. So it's improving the habitat and creating much more sustainable livelihoods. This has to be the way forward because the people that live in these coasts, there are, you know, and work in those sorts of industries and the others that depend on them on the shore, we have to work with people in order to make sure that there is something there for them and future generations to make a living off, but also for people to enjoy. And that's that's a solution if we get it right is a fantastic way to tackle your feelings that you might have about the negative impacts whether if if you're working in that or if you see the pollution or you get ill or you you know you just uh, feel some kind of disconnection these are all great ways in which we can give people that sense of control back and and basically have coastal communities that make sense 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, that that's the really important thing. And it's, it's again, recognizing human beings are part of nature. So it's about making that part of the natural conversation as well is recognizing, okay, well, what's the impact on people as part of this? And actually, what can we think about? Maybe it's that mindset shift towards that sustainability rather than just focusing on growth and growth and growth from an economic perspective. It's thinking, okay, well, what's the long term thing going to be? What's the best thing long term for our community, for the people, for our families? And how does that tie into the 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 natural environment that we want to have as well so maybe it's that slight mindset shift about what we think of when we think about that sustainable long-term community too sounds good <laughs> we've got all the answers here um well with that in mind then let's go on to our guests i think and we'll, we'll hear from from all of our different guests now so uh, yeah thank you dom <laughs> I'm here with a very good friend and colleague from a long time ago. James, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself in a moment. We are going to talk about the salty environment and all the benefits that that brings and perhaps unlock some of those clues as to what it can do to help our mental health, our our well-being, and perhaps tackle some of those feelings that um, people have been having about the fate of our planet and the natural world. So, James. Do you want to perhaps uh, introduce yourself for the audience and give us a bit of background about yourself? Yeah, thanks very much, Dom, and thank you very much for asking me to be involved in this. Um, so I'm James Shemankovic, I'm a GP in currently very stormy North Devon. Um, I've been a GP for 15 years in the same practice, uh, working in um, a fairly diverse community in Ilfracombe, including quite a lot of social deprivation. My background is that I essentially am a surfer, have been my entire life very connected to the ocean environment. And it's been a huge part of my own personal physical and mental health as well. Over the years, I I became increasingly concerned just really from seeing changes in the ocean that I was in um, about the impacts of of humans on the natural environment. Um, So I got involved with a range of organisations, including... Um, obviously, the Wildlife Trust, Centre for Sustainable Healthcare, did some work with Devon Nature Partnership and got quite involved in in the emerging concepts of green and blue social prescribing, which I think is, is, is hugely important. As we move forward, really, I also coach Surf Lifesaving, which just I love to see the, the impact that the ocean has on children and young people. And how resilient it helps them become in the, in their day to day lives. So, yeah, I'd say a bit of a passionate blue advocate all round on. Wow, that sounds amazing. The uh, the surf life saving, did you say? What does that involve? Yeah, so surf life saving is the sort of sports version of life saving. So a lot of our beach lifeguards will have come up through the surf lifesaving community so essentially it's it's a lot of endurance racing racing paddle boards which is what you see people being rescued on lots of swimming lots of running and paddling those long sea kayaks as well so yeah very much enjoy that fantastic and you you spoke obviously about green and blue scribing today we're specifically interested in the blue what is it what is it about the sea or the coastal or the marine environment that benefits your well-being? And then perhaps we can move on to some of those concerns that you've got. I, I get asked that a lot. And I think there's a there's a quote that I love. It's a bit cliche, but it says, um, and into the ocean I go to lose my mind and find my soul. And for me, whenever I get in the sea or near the sea, the noise stops, you know, the chatter in your head, the ping of your smartphone, the incessant traffic noise goes and and there is a a deep sense of peace and calm that I find lasts a lot longer than just being in in the ocean and when I come out of it I I always feel better however you know how bad the day day has been you know the ocean has been and I said this before it's been through my life it's been it's been my playground my refuge my church it's the place that I have always had as a constant in my life and will always be grateful for it and I think as well I, I feel I guess sometimes frustrated that people don't recognise the importance of these blue spaces to keep themselves well, I guess. 
That's a, a wonderful description and a personal one. And do you see the benefit in the people who you help through work, you, you know, who you consult with, your patients, uh, people who you might give advice to? Yeah, so I, I, I think kind of a frustration of being a GP is that a huge amount of what I see cannot be fixed with a medical prescription because the causes lie outside of, of a of a medical model. So the NHS is brilliant at dealing with illness. So if you have a heart attack or you break your leg, it's fantastic. But it is bad at the whole well-being approach, which is essentially helping people live fulfilled, valued lives with good mental health, good physical health. And I, I personally feel that a lot of that has come because we've become so disconnected from the natural environment, disconnected from our communities, disconnected from our values. And that's led to a lot of a lot of pain, you know, it's led to a lot of physical pain, mental pain. And, you know, we know these kind of lifestyle illnesses cost socially huge amounts of money as well as personally great, great, um, great suffering. And I think what I find just incredibly empowering is that little projects such as you know, like the Wave Project, which is a very one of the original projects that started to help people connect with the ocean, both the data and the reality of seeing people's the effect of, of them participating is just fantastic. You know, you can take people who are really struggling, who are frightened, and with support in in the right way, you can really transform their lives. So I think it is. It's really powerful. And the other thing as well is that I think it, there are a lot of barriers to blue spaces, both real and perceived. And I think it is really something for everyone. So it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be surfing big waves. In fact, you don't even have to get in it. You just have to be near and spend time in that environment, not necessarily the ocean, a lake, a river, waterfall, any of those things. It's, it's all the same. It's, it's just that reconnection with nature. I mean, there's so much water, isn't there, for us yeah. in Britain yeah. to enjoy yeah. this? Where at the <laughs> yes, yes. But of the fresh and the, uh, you know, the salty variety, like you say, it's, um, it's a great leveller. There's no good reason why people shouldn't have access, except perhaps, you know, one of those things is, is people, you mentioned this earlier when we were talking, you know, what is happening to the sea and the marine environment can as well as the fear factor of seeing the waves and, oh, I can't swim and those sort of things. But actually, people who have those abilities could actually see what is happening to the sea or to our rivers, most topically for both of these, and just think, one, I'm not engaging with that, and and two, that actually really stresses me out. Is that something you've picked up on? Yeah, so one of the things... I was involved in, we, we set up a little charity called Plastic Free North Devon. And part of that was obviously originally doing a lot of beach cleans. And there was a huge amount of eco-anxiety that we saw in participants just because of what they were seeing each day on, on our beaches and rivers. But I think the the fantastic thing about it is that by bringing people together as a community and doing something positive, so actually participating in you know, very simply a beach clean, you could help them realise that change is possible and not only possible, but they are actively involved in making that happen, which is very empowering. And that then helps them take away a sense of hope, which is needed to get people to make behavioural change, both at an individual level and then campaigning at a community and, and national policy level. Yeah, that, um, I mean, you've, you've lighted on perhaps some of those activities that will help. Do you, you know, do you, as a, as a health professional, do you see the kind of validity in the term eco anxiety or, or other ways to describe it or see how it affects anybody, the, the, the plight of, of the natural world? Definitely. I mean, I, I think that I see it both obviously in, in that I have had people come and talk to me about that overwhelming sense of despair really and also as part of the unspoken pressures of, of the modern modern world that people live in i i think eco anxiety is definitely a, a a very real and significant issue for a lot of people 
And I think even in people where perhaps it's not overtly recognised, it is when you scratch below the surface part of their perhaps general anxiety levels. I definitely see it as a valid term to use. And and, and you work in a very busy NHS service as a GP. You've see you you've mentioned it's very good at treating illness. Do you think unless we approach eco-anxiety with like a social answer, you know, if we start to medicalise it, it could it could overwhelm some of those NHS services because of the, the growth of eco-anxiety and other things related to that? Absolutely. And I, th- I think, you know, we know that the medical model does not work for particularly for perhaps it's the wrong term, but sort of low level mental health, depression and anxiety. So we know that approaching that, whatever the cause, should be holistic. So it should be involved in looking at physical activity, community relationships. It should, should look at the social environments in which they're in and also help them with talking therapies. And I think antidepressant medication, you know, the, the statistics around this are, I've, I've always found pretty, pretty horrifying. So we know that lifestyle illness, as it's defined, costs the NHS at least £15 billion a year. And I think in 1990, there were 9 million prescriptions for antidepressants a year. In 2016, so 25 years later, it got up to 65 million prescriptions. And that costs about £250 million a year. And the mental health cost to the UK economy, the last time I looked, was around 105, 106 billion, which is about what it costs around the NHS. So, you know, we, we know that we need a different approach. And I think for me, what's so exciting is that what is there not to like about reconnecting people with nature, right? There are no side effects. If I give you citalopram, it might give you an upset stomach, might make you Give come out a rash. If I take you and support you on a rock pool ramble, there are no side effects. You know, there's no side effects. It's low cost. And as well as that, once people feel confident and it becomes embedded in their behaviour, it's, it's self-perpetuating. So I, I, I've always felt really excited about it. And I think one of the things for me that probably was a real eye-opener is that when I started this, I spent a lot of time thinking about what is it that is stopping people going to the beach or going to the river. And what I realised quite quickly is that you need people to identify with those people who are going. So it needs to be someone like me. So if I am a, a 50-year-old, slightly larger framed lady who is quite body conscious and hasn't got feels physically not very fit and you see a 40 year old triathlete going off and sprinting through the water there's no connection there whereas if you see somebody like you it makes you confident to do it and we've seen that in in north devon the explosion in cold water swimming has been fantastic so every time i go surfing almost without fail there will be a group of almost predominantly women laughing, smiling, going in, usually wearing swimming costumes and boots or gloves and just having a brilliant time. And it absolutely just makes me so happy to see that. Yeah, I can personally attest to that. I saw the exact same scene when uh, I was down in Penryn a few weeks back, exactly that in the morning. Went down for a swim in the sea and there it was, absolutely full. Exactly the scene you described. Perhaps just to to finish with then, do do we and do you have hope, James? Yeah, I, I think I've always had hope, but I, I don't really like using the word hope because it feels a bit passive, you know, you kind of hope for the best. I think what we want to try and embed in people is courage, which is the is the willingness to stand up and be counted, even if it feels a bit uncomfortable to do so. It's the willingness to go out on a limb and say, actually, we need to change, and this is why. So I think um, hope, yes, but definitely some courage to change. Fantastic. Dr. James Shemankovitz, thank you so much for sharing your time. Thanks very much, Dom. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. Our next guest is Libby Smith. Libby is a member of Generation C, or Gen C. 
Gen C is a group of like-minded young people across the wildlife trusts who are passionate about protecting and restoring the marine environment. And Libby is on hand to talk to us about her own experiences with eco-anxiety and how time in marine spaces helps with that. So I'm here joined by Libby Smith. And Libby, I don't know if you'd like to give just a quick introduction to, you know, who you are, where you're from, what, what kind of things you do. Yeah, um, so I am originally, I grew up in North Wales and I went to Scotland, went to the University of Glasgow to study earth science and then I went to Heriot-Watt University to study international marine science. I'm now based in Oban at Sam's doing an internship in sustainable aquaculture. So based on the coastline, but growing up, I was very much landlocked. Great. So you've really seen that diversity of sort of nature in land, but nature at the sea or nature in water as well. And and being around nature all the time and being so focused. I mean, you've got far more expertise than I do in nature. My background is not in not in sciences, not in nature at all. Oh, well, you'll be surprised. <laughs> um, but but with all of that in mind, is eco anxiety something that you felt personally? Has it has it felt like it's had an impact for you? To be honest, I wasn't that aware of the concept of eco-anxiety initially I've only found out about it perhaps in the past year but when I did find out about it and I did reflect on it I do believe that I have and continue to experience it in some degree I feel like the more that I've learned about the environment and what's going on and becoming more aware it's obviously amazing and really useful but at the same time it has given me kind of that anxiety and that worry that there is it's so big of a problem that I just wouldn't even know where to begin to even try and tackle it so yeah I've definitely experienced it for sure and that's that thing isn't it around sometimes the more you know and the more you learn you sort of soak up that kind of the the knowledge gap but maybe there's the sort of the emotional impact of learning all of these things and learning about the crises that are going on it can weigh quite heavy can't it because like you said it's the well what do we do about it after we've learned about it what's the action that we need to take is the challenge isn't it yeah I just feel like there's almost the the lack of control and the the lack of power to be able to do something that's actually like that reaches the other side of the world it does make me on edge because I want to do something I want to help but I feel a bit helpless you know and and have you found that sort of your feelings about it or or your experience of it have been different when you've been thinking about you know water and water wildlife and then land between those blue spaces and those green spaces or are there you know certain challenges that have really spiked in certain areas that you found like I know there's been lots of discussions about sewage in waterways and on our coastlines and has that played a big part in how how you're feeling about those things well yeah absolutely I think that particularly on social media whatever I've been exposed to through like what I see on my feed that will definitely affect how I feel about certain topics emotionally if I see it I'm going to care about it. And perhaps there are things I'm still not aware of. So yeah, it's definitely down to exposure. And I think in terms of the difference between land and marine, I think through what I've studied, I can see that everything is very much interlinked. So no matter whether it is a land problem or a marine problem, I still care about it just as much and it affects me just as emotionally so and that, that, that's the thing isn't it you know what you mentioned about what, what you mentioned about social media as well is what it throws up at you um is often the the big concern but without that onward drive about well what action can you take because you see the headline or you see the comments but beyond that everything's kind of fades into the background because it just focuses on the big fears essentially is there anything that you found that's helped with your feelings of eco-anxiety, any action you've taken or any projects you've been involved in? Has your work helped with that as well? Yeah, it has. Many things have helped me in including my work, knowing that I'm contributing to something that is actually quite meaningful. I think also hearing from word of mouth of different activities that are going on that are also helping um, tackle climate change, that's really helped me as well. And and I think as well, changing like 
focusing on changing my mindset from less of a glass half empty to a glass half full mindset. So that's really helped me. Um, I've also adjusted my what I see on my social media feed. So who I follow has been a big thing. Obviously, I want to still be aware of the negative things that are going on. I don't want to just kind of block that. But I also want to make sure that I'm seeing that positive content as well to make sure that I know that there is still hope. Um, And there are loads of positive stories out there of people that are doing good as well. So I'm trying to focus on that as well. And then also I am volunteering for the, um, obviously, the Wildlife Trust and then the Scottish Wildlife Trust as a young leader. So um, getting involved in that in my spare time has really helped me engage with nature and also helped me spread awareness about important topics, um, including eco-anxiety. So. Oh, incredible. And, and and that's the thing, isn't it, is that that shift from that kind of doom mindset to something proactive, I think, is something that we can all take on board is actually one of the things that I feel about eco-anxiety is, well, it's a fear that we have, but it's a logical fear. And because it's a logical fear, there's logical means to solve it, which is solving our climate crises. So taking those steps to do things is something that I found that's really helped me. If you could give one tip to our listeners about how to support themselves, how to help themselves with eco-anxiety, what would you say would be the the one thing for them to do? Well, I think actually recognising and acknowledging that they have eco-anxiety in the first place is a big step. And speaking to someone about it, I definitely think starting a conversation about perhaps what, sh- what they think is triggering it in the first place and just having that person, that trust, uh, trustworthy person to speak to and just vocalise your feelings to will in itself help kind of put the steps forward to mitigating eco-anxiety. Brilliant. I couldn't have said it better myself. That's fantastic. You know, <laughs> talking about it, you know, that's why we're here. We're talking about this and yeah. we want to help other people talk about it too. Yeah, exactly. It should be it should be comfortable. It shouldn't be a taboo topic. It's not something to hide away from or be shameful of. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Libby. That's been really enlightening. And um, I'm sure that the people listening will have got a lot out of it as well. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> For our final part of today's episode, we're going to be hearing about a project called Wild Coast Sussex. And what was really interesting about this project is the way that it wanted to create a space where everybody could feel included and everybody could feel hopeful about the future whilst thinking about their coasts. So without further ado, let's get into our discussion. So hi, everyone. So I'm joined here today by two incredible special guests for the podcast, um, Ella and Sophia. So um, Ella, would you like to give a quick introduction uh, for our listeners, please? Hi, yeah, I'm Ella Garrod. I work for Sussex Wildlife Trust and I am the project manager for the Wild Coast Sussex project. Brilliant. Fantastic. And Sophia, um, over to you as well. Hi, I'm Sofia Pinheiro Vergara. I'm current project coordinator for the Welcome Sussex project and I work at the Marine Conservation Society, which is one of the partners of the project. Brilliant, fantastic. And I'm so grateful to have some time with you both today um, because I found out via Ella about the amazing work that you've been doing with communities and outreach and everything like that. And from what she talked through, it sounded like such a fantastic example of inclusivity in action with the kind of projects that we want to run and with that kind of community work that we want to do. So would you be able to explain the kind of projects that you've been working on and the activities that you've been running to give that kind of context? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, yeah, it's a partnership project led by Sussex Wildlife Trust. And then obviously we have Marine Conservation Society who've been really, really involved. And then the other partners are Sussex IFCA, the Inshore Fisheries and Conservation Authority, Um, and Sea Life Brighton um, and it's funded by the National Lottery Heritage Fund thanks to the National Lottery players Um, but basically yeah it's a community engagement and education project and we're working all across the Sussex coast so it's a really extensive coastline um, and basically the kind of overall aim is to connect our fantastic communities with the amazing coastline 
in Sussex and our wonderful wildlife to empower and enable communities to take action to protect the coast and ocean. So basically, yeah, connecting people to it so they can learn more about what's there and then hopefully then take take action to protect it. And we're kind of really looking at behaviour change as well. Um, and we're monitoring all of that, evaluating everything throughout the project to see what lessons we can learn, basically. Um, so we've been doing that through loads of different activities. We have some specific key target audiences, uh, one of which is school children, um, which I've kind of been leading on. And then we're also working with fishing communities up and down the coast and then also working with the 16 to 25 age range, which is what the Marine Conservation Society have been leading on. Fantastic. So, Sophia, I think you've got some really great tidbits to share about the, the 16 to 25 age range, don't you? Yeah. As Ella said, um, the Marine Conservation Society, as part of the project, engages mainly with 16 to 25 year old. There is a kind of aspect that's wider community. But I mean, as kind of Ella said, we try to do all of this by inspiring and connecting people and maintaining those relationships. We engage people in direct action. We try to enable learning and activities to that encourage people to um, have, you know, have this kind of positive feeling to them in terms of engaging with the environment and especially marine environment. Um, and also empower people to take action, you know, to share this and take action themselves, influence others to connect with the Sussex coast and see. Um, but specifically working with 16 to 25 year olds was a big area of interest with the Marine Conservation Society because it's not an audience that's kind of we've naturally engaged with in the past and we were very keen to learn more about this and see what we could do and what worked well, what didn't work well. and um, But also kind of I guess, learn ourselves from this and hopefully then everyone else who gets involved in this also has a, you know, a great time. Um, but yeah, there's lots of different project activities involved, um, but it's mainly been trying to hold activities that are engaging and different for young people uh, that will allow them to connect with the Sussex coast and sea um, and try them to get try to get them to do something maybe a little bit different, um, but also engage with different people from that age range. Because you say 16 to 25 year olds, but there's so many different people who are 16 to 25. And we have been very lucky to engage with a variety of audiences from that age range. And it's been really wonderful. Oh, fantastic. And and, and that really, really leads us on to talking about the next element of this, which is that inclusivity was really important for you both wasn't it when it came to these kind of activities this kind of engagement um so why did you feel that inclusivity was so important here and what did you do to champion that inclusivity that diversity all of that sort of um you know equality in the way that you wanted to reach people well we wanted the whole from the get-go of the project um we wanted like kind of everything that we were doing to be as inclusive as possible because you know, the marine environment is there for everybody to enjoy. And we wanted to try and connect with the widest range of people possible. And, you know, it's right on people's doorsteps. And we didn't want anyone to feel like it wasn't for them. We want to open kind of open the doors to this amazing environment that everyone should be able to enjoy no matter, you know, their background, their ethnicity, their sexuality, anything. Yeah. So Sophia, maybe you want to talk about some of the events we've done Mm. I would say that from I mean I joined the project a bit later on but I would say that I agree with Ella from the get-go I think it's been very important to champion inclusivity and something that we're always very keen on we're not experts but we've learned a lot we had this kind of kind of drive for it from the beginning and along the way we have learned a lot so ourselves by holding events from other people so I think we have been incredibly lucky and privileged to be able to have that space to hold to kind of learn and then do better and you know just change things as we go along and to improve um this kind of sense of inclusivity um but we've tried to do that by you know the coast and sea belongs to everyone but there are probably barriers to people accessing the coast and sea or enjoying the coast and sea. So I think we've asked what could be some of those barriers? Um, why are they there? Uh, what could we do to, you know, uh, 
bring people along, invite them or fe- make them feel like this is a space for them? Or if, and if um, it's something that they don't engage with, how can we make this something that they can enjoy and that they can come to? Um, so we had lots of different aspects that we considered. And that was a kind of across, you know, for example, social media, uh, community, communicating about our events and how we advertise them, but also when we did the events themselves, how we held them and what we did during those events. Um, was also very important. And then also learning from the feedback that we had. So kind of taking all of these different aspects into consideration and bringing it all together to champion that inclusivity is how we went about it, I would say. We also had, for example, um, I mean, this is kind of very specific. We had LGBTQ plus only events uh, a couple of times. Uh, we also had... Um, doing events with youth groups only so it was a safe space and private with people that only they like only they knew so because we try to have public events that are open to everyone anyone can join but we also understand that sometimes people just want it to be within their community and that's completely fine and they want we want it to be a safe space and something that they feel they can be themselves in so we also did a little bit of that um i mean Championing inclusivity includes so many different things, but kind of um, sharing pronouns, asking for permission for photos. uh, It's a standard practice within both our organizations, but it helps create a safe and respectful space to ask for permission with things like this. Um, But I mean, this kind of goes into kind of foster fostering a safe space. Um, But yeah, I don't know if there's anything else. Um, Um, I mean, I was going to add just things. I think you touched on it, but just having things like the event descriptions outlining sort of what exactly what they can expect from the event and all the accessibility information as well like being really 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 clear like even having photographs of the site and access points and then you know if someone wanted to come along but didn't maybe their their accessibility needs they thought it might be a bit difficult then you know they were able to get in touch with us and we could put in place things um to make to to allow them to attend so things like some of the coastal offices have got um, beach wheelchairs and things so arranging those to be hired for the event for certain people and things like that and obviously the other thing about the project is it's fully funded so all the events are free um, and I think at every single event we've offered some sort of food so whether that if it's a full event we've offered you know lunch and even some of sometimes lunch and um, dinner um but I think snacks even if it was not sort of a full day event um so I think that has actually been really a really big learning is that food is a massive incentive for people to come along um and obviously with it being free because we've put on like water sports events which are quite expensive for people to join but you know they've been free and they've been a really good way to get people down to the coast so you know we've run water sports events and then had a beach clean so it gets people hooked in and then we get to you know put across our conservation message as well i would also add that um because you've just mentioned it ella we asked people if they had any access needs that they wanted to share with us but we didn't make that a mandatory thing to answer when people signed up to our events so the question was there and people could choose whether they wanted to tell us this or not and if and how much they wanted to share but you know, I think we've had a lot of, um, and we always say that we're happy to make changes and accommodations so people can enjoy the event to the fullest. Most of the time, people have answered this question saying they don't have anything they want to share or saying, yes, I have um, just, you know, I have anxiety. Um, I'm neurodivergent uh, and they just want to share it so that we know. And so that we, you know, we just kind of take that into consideration if there's anything, but we've always also tried to have a kind of like safety space outside of the main event so when we held a hackathon in Bex Hill in September 2022 I believe um, we had a kind of we had the main event space we always said we have a room on the side if you want to go to to take a break and you can go there anytime for however long you want it's just that if you need to take a break and this is at any point kind of overwhelming for you for whatever reason you can go in there and just take a break um we've done this at a couple of other events um but always say you know take take a break if you want to or go and you can go and sit somewhere else if you'd like but i think people knowing that they have the option to say that about them or to share this aspect of themselves if they want to but without it feeling mandatory and also knowing that this is a space where they can 
be themselves is incredibly important. Um, and also knowing that they can take a break uh, is important. And if they feel overwhelmed, because our events can last, you know, sometimes a couple of hours and that is great. But also sometimes people just need to take a bigger a breather and that's also completely fine. Um, yeah, we've um, kind of, as Alice said, we also share photos of the event uh, space if we can. Like sometimes we can't share photos of the event space, but we try our best to have um, some as much information as possible brilliant and you know all of that is so important and and what it comes down to is you know it comes down to valuing the individuals who want to take part doesn't it and giving them the respect that they they deserve rather than just expecting people to fit into what we're anticipating actually recognizing you know what people have have things that they would request have things that they might need support with or equally like you said want to let you know about certain things just in case because also we know that you know when we're talking about disability for instance a lot of disabilities are fluctuating someone might think to themselves oh well i'm probably fine on the day but if i'm having a bad day then maybe i would like you know like you said maybe maybe they would like to go and have some time in a quiet space away from 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 loud noises or strong sensory um elements and things like that so yeah it's really great to hear about all of those kind of things one thing that you you touched on was the idea of psychological safety and creating these safe spaces um i was wondering if you had anything else to share about how you helped create those um though that feeling of psychological safety or help foster that feeling whether it's like you said you mentioned that you um you had events for specific groups to have those kind of those 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 inclusive elements um yeah have you got anything else to share on 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 that psychological safety piece i think yeah just fostering that that feeling of making sure that people feel like it's a safe space for them um even things like sharing pronouns and things like that i think can really contribute to that because people then feel comfortable being themselves and because everything has been by the coast mostly we've had a few events sort of like indoors where we've been doing like workshops and things um but having time to like go and enjoy the coast as well in a safe space um like we've had mindfulness sessions and um in we had a big event um a two-day event a kind of weekender event uh where we had a specific session where people could go away and sit and just contemplate the environment that they were in um as well as you know they were there to learn and enjoy and stuff but that was also there for them too um and i think everything that sophia's already already mentioned i think contributes to that sort of feeling of psychological safety Mm. i would add that um we try to do things very positively i think this probably goes into um eco-anxiety but we're very aware that there's so much pressure and eco-anxiety and stress in people's lives and whilst we want to talk about the ocean and the sea and the coast and why it's important uh we also don't want to everyone everyone who comes and attends our events to feel down by them and that's you know i think it's important to remember that there there are things that are about the environment which are you know there's a climate crisis and everything but I think everyone's already aware of that to some extent and they probably want to come to our events to feel to do something fun to do something different to feel um to make friends or be there with friends um however it is and they all you know with their own group and then in this case they want to be safe um I think we try to do things very positively whilst talking about the environment and the ocean and the coast and sea. Um, so having a space that is positive or at least kind of... Well, it's about it's about um, empowering people, isn't it? Like sharing the message positively, but also empowering people with the information and also the skills to take action to hopefully alleviate some of that eco-anxiety. So we're kind of using this behavior change ladder of see, do, learn, influence. So it's about, yeah, it's about empowering people to be able to take that action and do something about it in a positive way. Yes. And I think it's also nice for them to see that they can engage with the coast and ocean and environment quite generally in a positive way, because I think a lot of the things that people see are big kind of forms of activism. Um and different way, like the ways that people see very generally, I think, in the media are 
kind of protest and uh, activism and things like that. And these are all very valid re- ways of engaging with the environment. But I think people don't often see the kind of lighter ways of engaging with the ocean and coast. And I think highlighting that with our project has been maybe eye-opening for some people. We've definitely had some people say that they felt really good about it and that they felt like they could maybe do their own beach clean now. Uh, I don't think it was something that had kind of people had realized that they could do or a different way of engaging or just that the way they already engage, for example, if they just enjoy going to the coast and sea and enjoy um, engaging with the environment, that is a way of kind of appreciating the nature around you in different ways. Um, So yes, I think showing different ways of engaging with the environment uh, via, you know, um, kind of like lessons or workshops or different activities and events um, that are quite positive um, and again empower people to make their own change um, is a way of creating a safe space um, because it just creates a different way of doing things and of seeing things. Excellent and so that does bring us on to talking a little bit about eco-anxiety as well and I mean, was this something that people talked about at the events? Did they talk about that as being, you know, one of the reasons why they wanted to take part? Or was it something that was concerning them? And what was the end result, I suppose? was Did did the people who were participating then feel positive about their experience, feel as though they were making a, dis- a difference, feel as though they could then take this into, you know, doing their own activities or arranging more sort of community work. I'd be really interested to hear about that that kind of impact. Well, we've had quite a wide range of people joining the events from like people who've never done a beach clean before. I don't really have much knowledge about the ocean to people who are, you know, doing a marine biology degree. And so are very informed already, but just wanted to come along. And so we've, you know, we've offered like survey training and things like that so you know upskill them so I think the the level of understanding at the beginning has been quite different um but we definitely again the the the, um the event I mentioned the what uh, wild coast weekend we called it um so it was this two-day event where they we got to do fun activities but also yeah we upskilled them with survey um, training and things like that. Um, And we had feedback from participants to that event who said, you know, they came away feeling really positive um, and that they had new information and skills and knowledge to be able to take take action. Um, And Sophia, I know we've had people come to some of your events who, like I said, have never been on a beach clean before. It was their first time going and maybe that's a slightly different experience but I think still people were leaving with sort of extra knowledge and I don't know if you want to expand on that. (laughs) Yes so as Ella said we've had lots of different audiences when it comes to our events so I think the range in terms of people impact on people's feeling of anxiety has been quite different. I remember that I think most of the time people go go away from it kind of like we've had really positive feedback um and that people feel away go away feeling really good about it uh, they feel more vot- motivated they would love to come and help out again in future events so we've had people who have come to our events and then have signed up as volunteers and that was you know an incredible thing to see because then we get to see them and again and they come back to help us out um or that it was really fun, uh, and all, all that they were looking for fun things to do and came to our event. And then it was just a bonus that they kept their local beach clean. Um, and that was really nice to see as well, because I think we had a, a skating event in, um, a couple months ago and it was skating by the sea we had a skating venue booked and we also did a beach clean so people who were interested in skating came for the skating but also did a beach clean and I think they probably learned a lot and enjoyed it um, loads as well because uh, they showed a lot of interest in kind of coming to more events like this and helping out at future events but we also had some people say that they felt, you know, they generally feel quite down about the environment. I remember, I think about a year ago, we had someone say on anonymous feedback that they just didn't see the point um, and felt like whatever they did, um, nothing would help. So it was very much kind of climate doomism. And we hadn't seen a lot of answers like that. So it was interesting to see, obviously, that you can go to an event like this, but obviously still feel anxious about the world in general. Um, so. 
and obviously taking that into consideration not everyone's gonna feel either way whatever you feel whether it's one or the other or anything in between is fine um but yeah so we've had a good range and i think talking about things like eco-anxiety um during our events and also maybe tackling it, t- tackling eco-anxiety uh, during our events, maybe not addressing it directly always. We've had things where we talk about, you know, as I said, mindfulness um, and uh, just going away and um, enjoying that space, but also kind of maybe um, just having events that are, I think we've talked about it a lot, like events that are positive. Um, and so hopefully that kind of makes people feel like, it's okay to feel however they feel um so yeah yeah like yeah we've tried to be really positive but also you know we've said you know it's okay to feel overwhelmed you don't have you know I think there's that saying of toxic positivity is there isn't there like being positive is the only way to think about things and if if you don't think that then you're wrong but that's not true at all because obviously people get overwhelmed I get overwhelmed like and that's perfectly okay but it's just yeah providing that space where people can kind of feel those feelings but then hopefully go away feeling a little bit more positive and like connected to other people who share the same interests and maybe share the anxiety load maybe a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's a great way of thinking about it is is that, um, you know, it feels like a very heavy load for one person. But when you find out that there's other people who maybe feel the same way, um, that can that can help reali- people realise, actually, you know what, I'm not alone in this. And equally then, it, it can feel like if you're doing events like this, activities like this, well, okay, I'm just doing this small part myself, but we've got all of these other people with me here doing the same thing. And together, that's them making that change. I think the the other thing around it as well is that a lot of the time with, at least with my feelings of eco-anxiety, you can be reading about things in the news or watching TV but then when you get out and see nature itself, you realise actually it's not all over yet. There's still, <laughs> it's still here. You know, the coast in Sussex is beautiful in so many places, isn't it? And, you know, because I'm from Sussex myself as well. And, you know, spending time down by the sea is always one of my favourite things to do. And, you know, it's still there. It's still fantastic. It's not over yet. There's still so much to fight for. And sometimes actually getting out into it can can make that difference, I find, too. Um, so yeah, it's really interesting to hear about, about all of that. Um, and so, so finally then, um, a bit of a, a bit of a big question, I suppose, but you know, we've, we've talked about the, the impact of the people who have attended and how they felt about it and, you know, seeing those kind of through roads. What would you like the long term impact to be of your project? What would you like it to, what would you like it to have achieved? Well, I think, again, going back to that see, do, learn, influence sort of behaviour change ladder, it would be great if we had, you know, a whole group of people who are influencing other people. Because sadly, our, you know, our funding is coming to an end. We can only do so much. We can only reach so many people. But if we have passed that message on to enough people and then that can spread wider to, you know, their friends, their peers, their colleagues, their families, um, I think that would be my sort of ultimate outcome would be to just spread the message of how amazing the coastline is here and all the amazing marine life we have because we still get loads of people who just don't know what's out there and if you don't know what's out there if you don't know what's there how on earth are you meant to care about it and then protect it so for me I think that's the ultimate aim but also just and taking learnings as from to our own to our organizations from this project and hopefully in other ways beyond the project taking those learnings forwards and still working with these groups um and putting events on and engaging with people in the most inclusive way i would answer this question i hope you don't mind in like two parts um so i think maybe the first would be on the impact of the people who attended and I think I would categorize it into a few different sections so the first would be learning um second would be enjoyment um the third would be a feeling of safety and inclusivity and the fourth would be doing something different so going to the first which is learning um I think learning people have said themselves that they learned about the consequences and causes of pollution in the ocean, the different chemicals and how they affect the ocean, how to organize beach cleans. If they can take this learning 
uh, and share it with others or keep something for themselves, that would be amazing. A second would be was enjoyment. And I think people said that this was really relaxing and super friendly. And so kind of going back to having this kind of positive space, but obviously without it being not in a way like bad way too positive but knowing that they can engage with the environment positively and have fun with it um would be another one um and then back to the third one which was a feeling of safety and inclusivity we've done you know lgbtq plus events only all kind of events with groups so i think uh or like close swaps and so people have said that our events sometimes are really neurodiverse friendly or that when we've done close swaps uh, we've kind of made it so that if people don't have clothes to swap they are still welcome to attend our event because we'll have extra clothes for people to um kind of still participate in the event so if they don't have pieces of clothing it's good to have existing pieces so everyone is welcome so i think fostering a space for safety and inclusivity and showing people that these spaces exist and maybe other people can do them i think we've had lots of interest from other organizations um at least locally um about have about hosting their own close swaps and they've asked us for kind of kind of almost like a toolkit on how they can create their own close swaps so we've had a couple of organizations that we've done this with that have said we'd love to do this ourselves and have taken the learning from when we did close swaps with them to maybe hold their own with their own people or publicly so i think fostering that kind of this kind of like different event but also a feeling of safety and inclusivity there to kind of for people to take away and then doing something different um we were told a lot by staff from example from different youth groups that some of their young people really push themselves with some of our activities because they usually back out of this kind of activity so that speaks volumes that they really enjoyed it or that some of their young people are really quiet and reserved and really got into our activities which is lovely to know and see um so doing something different for young people and then i think maybe in the kind of long-term impact i think creating connections and maintaining them is definitely something i would love to see we've seen that during the length of this project with people returning several times to our events or holding multiple events with the same youth groups um that we have created connections and maintain them and we'd love to keep doing that we've had a lot of questions about doing more events like this or like the ones we've done in the past what's going to happen in the future so there is definitely interest in what we do and what we could do again and you know as i said our project funding is coming to an end but there's so much potential for what um organizations respectively could do and for other people we've engaged with could do by themselves and with others brilliant fantastic and you know there's so much for us to think about and take away from this and hopefully you know those listening thinking actually there's so much potential for us to do things in different ways that it's not just about doing things in the same way over and over we can trial we can be creative and most importantly that we can value and respect the time of the people that we want to engage with as well um so that unfortunately brings our conversation to a close today um thank you so much both of you this has been such a brilliant discussion and really appreciate your time so thank you very much oh thanks for having us thank you for having us it was really lovely (laughs) great thank you That brings this episode to a close. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back in two weeks' time with a very special live recording on the topic of Bright Futures.